the man of tomorrow is here. And if you are a member of the all new Sovereign Tech Uncensored Facebook group, which, of course, if you want to be a member of that, you got to friend me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Brian Sovereign. Then I can let you into the group. You just message me and I'll let you into the group. Uh, you knew that this was coming, this episode. And that music you just heard is from what is, quite frankly, considered one of the greatest games of all time. And as far as franchise goes, one of the greatest game franchises uh, of all time. And the review, what I'm going to be going over today is uh, Castlevania, uh, that being the Netflix series Castlevania. Uh, and this is, well, you know, we'll, we'll break down a lot of the different stuff in this. There's a, really a lot to talk about here. Um, but for such a short series, only four episodes, each, each episode weighs in at under 30 minutes. Uh, this is a masterpiece. I mean, this is a minor masterpiece. It really, really is. And we're going to talk about the series. We'll also talk about the Castlevania franchise in general, because I think there's a lot really to say on that um, and how it relates to this. Uh, now, the opening music you just heard was for uh, maybe maybe the uh, maybe my favorite. Well, no, it's not my favorite game in the series. I'll talk about what my favorite game in the series is later. Uh, but it's from Castlevania three Dracula's curse. Like I said, and that, that's a game that came out oh, back in 1990, I, I guess in Japan, maybe it was like 89, but in the States in North America, it came out in 1990. Uh, the Castlevania series in general started in 1986 um, and quickly it was, it was more or less one of the launch games for the NES and it's, it had been out for some other systems as well at the time. Um, and some of its other uh, entries into the series have made appearances on systems outside of Nintendo. Again, we'll probably get into that more later, uh, but this is definitely hallowed ground. As far as gaming goes, uh, there there are few franchises that get much bigger um, than Castlevania. Not to say that every Castlevania game is great. Uh, some people have had uh, questions about maybe the more recent reboot, that being Castlevania Lords of Shadow, uh, which there's uh, like three in that series. Uh, there's a mobile version that I think you can also get, or that you can also get on Steam. Uh, but then there's the two main games for it. Uh, but anyway, this this new Castlevania series is entirely uh, based or well, yeah, is pretty much based on on uh, Castlevania three Dracula's curse. Uh, the characters, all of that's there. I mean, there's there's not really a whole lot to say on that, because obviously the, the show has already departed just by the nature of the fact that it's not a video game. It's a TV show or, you know, a Netflix um, anime series. You know, it's already departed significantly from what you get in the game itself. But it is important, you know, to bring up that the characters and all that Trevor Belmont, who's the main uh, Belmont uh, in this game is and, and kind of the progenitor. In fact, when you play other Castlevania games that don't have Trevor Belmont and perhaps have to deal with the original Castlevania character that most people know, which is Simon Belmont. Uh, Simon Belmont is the descendant of Trevor Belmont and Trevor Belmont or Simon Belmont, you know, looks upon Trevor and, uh, you know, his cohorts, Alucard uh, and all of that looks on them as the they call him the great three or the greatest three. Uh, so, you know, this is we're dealing with the beginning here. And that might be one of the first things to say about this uh, about the show is that the whole thing feels it's only four episodes. It's very short. I mean, like shockingly short. Uh, and I can understand to some degree why why it may be so short, because the production level is ridiculously high. Uh, and I think originally so it had been planned to make this for some time. I think since 2007, there had been talk where Warren Ellis was trying to who is the main writer uh, who was trying to, to put this together. Um, 
was it was originally just supposed to be a movie. Well, this is movie length. This is feature length, and it's just split into episodes, uh, probably to make it a little more exciting as like, you know, people like to binge watch series on Netflix. So I think it's really meant to just be a movie. And you can watch it, all. I mean, easily in one sitting. You watch it in just a little over an hour, uh, you know, the entire first season. Um, and before anybody asks, yes, they've already, with all the excitement and, again, just I think how well it was done, um, Netflix has already ordered a second season and it will be longer. Uh, but anyway, you know, I, I can see why they made it a series, like I said, because you know that that'll get more people to watch it just because it's a series and they think they get to binge watch something but then they're done before they even you know before they even realize it uh but admittedly i could see why it's a shorter thing and why it was originally maybe thought more of as a movie because again the production level is very high this was i cannot imagine that this was a cheap anime to make uh because the the artwork the score uh trevor morris with the music holy shit was that music good uh the whole thing and 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 the you know the quality of the actors that they brought on um i mean the real quality of the actors that that they brought on for this uh this this had to be an expensive production so i can see why you know netflix didn't just instantly say okay no let let's you know let's do 12 episodes uh you know like they they didn't just instantly make it like voltron where they're like oh yeah no we'll we'll order some extras and everything you know they'll do the whole business uh so i i can understand that but they saw the excitement. They saw the absolute positive re- reviews, which, in my opinion, are well deserved. And we're already going to get um, a second season of this. But let's break it down a little bit more. And then I want to get into really, uh, you know, talking about the Castlevania series in general. But um, this is put together. Who the, in my opinion, the guy who really made this finally come to fruition. And like I said, this had been in the works in various, you know, production levels of hell, I would assume, uh, since 2007. So I think the guy that finally maybe put up the money or, you know, finally got the talks done with Netflix or whatever uh, is someone I'm a huge fan of, that being Adi Shankar. Uh, and Adi Shankar is, you might not know his name, but he's done a lot of wild shit. In fact, he's done one of my favorite productions just straight up in history. Uh, he has what's called like the bootleg universe. I think that's what he calls it, where he will take and he makes no money off of this. He doesn't sell these. He puts them up on YouTube, you know, for free. I mean, he's a movie producer. He's a full on deal. But uh, but Adi, he so he made one two two in particular that stand out for me with this bootleg universe. He, you know, he'll take like a major franchise of some kind and then he'll put his little spin on it. And the spin that I'm about to describe, he certainly does with Castlevania as well, uh, which I couldn't be happier about. Uh, but Adi, he made so he made a Judge Dredd um, kind of mini movie that was uh, very well received and very well done, in my opinion. I'm a big fan of Judge Dredd, uh, you know, the, the universe, <laughs> not necessarily so much the character. The character is kind of something else. Uh, but I mean, Judge Dredd, if you actually read the comics and everything, Judge Dredd is, is quite the political commentary uh, against, you know, the system and the status quo in general. Just people usually get caught up in the fact that it's action, 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 yay, cop, boom, you know, when it's it's really something quite, quite different from that. Uh, but anyway, my favorite thing that he did was he made, and I've talked about this a few times, I reviewed it on Sovereign Tech Prime years ago, um, he made the adult, very sexy, very edgy uh, mini-movie of Power Rangers. and I think it was called Power Slash Rangers is the official name of it. Uh, and this is where, like, I mean, you know, this Power Rangers little movie that he made, again, 
you know, wasn't sanctioned. That's why they call it the bootleg universe, because he's, you know, he doesn't have the rights to these things. But because he doesn't make any money off of them, he can pretty much make them. Um, in that, like, you find out Zach. Remember Zach from the first season of Power Rangers? And, of course, longtime Sovereign Tech listeners fan, uh, listeners know how big of a fan I am of Power Rangers. Uh, where Zach is, like, a crack dealer or is, like, a cocaine dealer or something. And uh, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, all these characters are all really grown up. Everything's really intense. Um, I don't want to give anything away because if you've never seen it, if you've never seen Adi Shankar's little Power Rangers production, uh, I mean, he has full-on actors. He gets, I, what it was, Katie Sackhoff in that. Um, I mean, he, he gets big, big name actors, you know, to, to do his business. Uh, it's really quite the production that, that power slash Rangers, it it is so fucking good. Uh, and it's adult, like it's that dark power Rangers that I've wanted, honestly, since I was a teenager. And that's really Adi Shankar's style. Um, in fact, I, I, I've never met him. I think if I met him, I think if we sat down and we hung out for a little while, uh, I think we would become very fast friends because I see in him, I see in his work, uh, the same understanding, the same appreciation for uh, the franchises of your and for, you know, all kinds of things um, that I have, you know, and the same desire to see to, to bring what a lot of these great franchises would either hint at or have the possibility for. And he brings them, you know, he brings them to four and he creates them. I mean, he just fortunately, I guess has the money to make it happen, <laughs> you know, as to where I, I just don't. Uh, so, um so I really, really respect Adi Shankar's work. And like I said, I, I could easily, you know, I could see if, if he and I ever hung out uh, that we would become pretty quick friends because I, I, I can just tell we, we absolutely have the same taste and everything. And that taste of taking something that might be seen as like kids programming or something like that, but bringing it, you know, growing everybody up, bringing it into, you know, raising the bar and everything to to where, you know, it's an acceptably adult level and then having, you know, all of all of the seriousness, the gore, the jokes, kind of the sex and, and, you know, and things like this. And this is one of the amazing things to talk about that you really wouldn't expect, I think, from a cast from anything based on Castlevania. This is a funny show like there's real. I mean, Stephanie and I were watching it, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. We were watching it. I mean, and there's points where we were laughing. I mean, we were laughing out loud. Like it was it. There's a few with the character of Trevor, Trevor Belmont specifically. He makes excellent use of the word shit. Like he just says shit a lot. And he, you know, there's points where he said, and it's, it's really goddamn funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm in awe actually at how funny this is. So this is, I mean, this is a, just a top notch, uh, production and you have great, you know, and spoiler alerts, folks, I'm not going to try and necessarily spoil anything, even though the show's been out for a few days and I've already warned people on social media, uh, you know, go check this out. And again, you can watch it easily, you know, well under two hours, well under, uh, so, you know, there's not much excuse to not be able to catch it. Um, but anyway, great actors involved, uh, with it, uh, particularly the, the name that, that stuck out for me. Some of them were, you know, I was like, oh, Richard Armitage. Okay. Yeah. That's great. James Callis, of course, who's known for playing, uh, Baltar in, uh, the, the piece, you know, t- something that's not a great production, that being the newer Battlestar Galactica from Ron Moore, which is one of the worst television shows ever made. Um, he's in this, but he does a fine job, you know, as compared to just how terrible he was in the new Battlestar Galactica. Uh, I mean, there's, there's some other big names, but the name that actually shocked me the most where I was like, whoa, you know, was Tony Amendola. Uh, who plays one of the um, 
speakers, this this uh, group called the speakers, which we'll talk about more, you know, more about that in a minute. Um, but Tony Amendola is in it. And I was like, wow, oh, that's great. And Tony Amendola has a great voice. And if you don't know who to- Tony Amendola is, he played uh, Master Braytech, Tecmate Braytech. You know, he played uh, Master Braytech in Stargate SG-1 in the Stargate universe. So, you know, most people will probably remember him from that. He was uh, uh, Teal's kind of teacher, mentor. Uh, an older character that quickly became a fan favorite. Now, he is a guy that I have met uh, at various uh, conventions and just a sweetheart. I mean, just a just a top notch human being, in my opinion. And uh, he was also in uh, Mask of Zorro, which is one of my favorite movies of all time uh, with Antonio Banderas. Uh, but he was in that as well. Uh, Tony Amendola. I mean, he he really brings. With the with the speakers, he, uh, let's just say to the whole production, he brings some real weight and gravitas. Uh, to what I think are otherwise, I mean, they're not y- all young whippersnappers. You know, I mean, Graham McTavish isn't really a younger guy. Matt Frewer's not really a younger guy. But he, I feel like he brings a lot of weight and and kind of classical style to something, you know, to a production that is, uh, you know, a story that's taking place in the 15th century in, you know, in Wallachia, uh, you know, in Europe. So, yeah, I was glad when I saw that he was there, at, you know, instantly... I was already very excited for this because I'm a huge Castlevania fan, but my, you know, my appreciation and my excitement for the show, I mean, just, you know, went from, you know, level five on the bar all the way up to level 10 because, you know, I just instantly said, oh, he's he's just going to make this fly. And he did. Uh, And once he I mean, and it's great, too, because once his character, once Tony Amendola's character, uh, you know, appears effectively um, on screen. You know, everything the the bar raises there, you know, like everything just 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 goes right up to 11 at that point. Um, And so Adi Shankar, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't a huge Stargate fan and he probably knew exactly what he was bringing to the table. And and he said, okay, now once he comes in, then we got to have the action and everything, you know, you know, bump up. And it did. Like I said, when he when that character comes on, suddenly Trevor Belmont again, spoiler alerts, folks, I guess. uh, But Trevor Belmont you know, kind of kind of comes to form and like suddenly, you know, the action really begins. And so I I thought that that was a that was just fantastic uh, to lay that out that way. So to get into the story, like we said, the acting's great. The artistry is just again, it's just stunning. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. It is a beautiful fucking anime. Uh, We already talked about the music. Trevor Morris really, really delivers kind of the ominous uh, uh, tones that I think are required for this kind of story. Really, any time a story brings in Dracula, and that is how this whole production be- or how this whole story begins is with Dracula. Um, and I thought this was really cool. So effectively, you have this character. This is this like doctor healer kind of character that is looking for uh, is, is is wanting to meet Dracula and hoping that what Dracula is and does can help humanity in general by bringing and this is a really cool story in fact it gets it gets into some some real life uh real world uh historical anomalies shall we say that i think uh that i i think are bolstered and and beautiful to see on display and once again it's just another thing where i'm like yeah i bet adi shankar and i could get along real well uh but anyway so, you know, they go to meet Dracula. Dracula is at this point. Yes, he is a vampire. Of course, the character is, you know, you, you get the, the sense of history of Vlad the Impaler and all this. Uh, you know, Wallachia feels like Romania or Romania. And, um, you know, all, all that's really cool. So this doctor character, uh, healer character, you know, goes to Dracula's castle 
And Dracula, let's just, I mean, I'll, I'll just be brief with all this because you can watch the show. Dracula very quickly is impressed and kind of falls in love with this character. Uh, and they do become husband and wife. Fast forward, you know, after this encounter, uh, which is really cool because, you know, she she's right. She knew that Dracula had something special. But what you find out is that Dracula, yeah, he's a vampire, but he's a scientist. He's an explorer. Um, he has all of this like really high technology, which I think is really cool uh, because fast forward 20 years later, you find out that the church, that being the Catholic church, uh, well, they end up burning her <laughs> as again, spoiler alerts, folks. They end up burning her alive at the stake uh, and killing her off. And of course, this sets off Dracula. He flips out and he ends up saying, you know, look, in one year, I'm going to unleash the armies of hell effectively upon you. Um, and, well, then you fast forward one year and that's pretty much exactly what happens. And that that's that's where the story kind of picks up. Um, but you find out that the church is a major part of this story, which I also thought was was fascinating. The Catholic Church, you know, specifically. Um, and it's not all negative towards the church. I'll just say that there's a part later on where uh, Trevor Belmont kind of calls upon someone who he considers to be a real priest that can make holy water. Uh, so it's not like, like, I mean, there's definitely that delineation. You know, I know I have a lot of Christian listeners of Sovereign Tech. Uh, you know, it's not all like ripping on. Well, I mean, if you're a Catholic, I guess it's ripping on that pretty much across the board. But but uh, but there's definitely hints that, you know, not that Christianity is completely invalid in it, even though it definitely has has kind of that message. But the church is going after it goes after Dracula. It goes after witches, of course, uh, which they consider Dracula's wife to be when really she's just a scientist. Uh, they go after the Belmonts, um, which that's part of this main story is that the Belmonts have been excommunicated by the church and, you know, told you're not allowed to do what you do anymore, which is monster hunting, etc. Uh, but you get this message that and and I think that there's a real historical precedent to this. Um, I, I think that there's there's real historical data to substantiate this sort of thing. Uh, nothing really to do, you know, not that Castlevania is like real history or whatever. Uh, but the notion that really the dark arts and black magic historically is just science, just like witches themselves were really just people that lived outside of accepted societal norms, not that they actually had any supernatural power or anything like this. Um, and I, I think that there's there's a lot to be said for that uh, historically that really, you know, I could go on a huge side tangent with this, um, but that any time what you see described as the dark arts or as black magic, uh, you know, in older texts, uh, you know, and throughout Europe and maybe even, you know, during the early Americas uh, is usually referencing some kind of science. You know, some kind, maybe even some kind of technology, not necessarily something advanced or like, you know, something like crazy, uh, you know, like more advanced than what we, you know, generally as consumers today can acquire. Uh, but just some kind of some kind of science uh, being involved. And I find it ironic. Boy, I'll tell you. All right. Real quick side tangent here for. <laughs> For all my libertarian and anarcho-capitalist and anarchist friends uh, that are listening to this, um, I find it ironic that a lot of celebritarians, frankly, are getting back into. Well, it's funny. So magic, I think, historically was some kind of 
technology was some kind of understanding of science, not something, not some kind of supernaturalism. What today is considered woo woo or mystical or magic or whatever is that's, that's the real like nonsense. That's the real, like, you know, what, what narrative is usually used against dark arts. In my opinion, that kind of stuff is like the new dark arts, uh, like breatharianism or even, you know, some of the crazier, uh, uh, lifestyle choices uh, and frankly like even like these ayahuasca cults and they are cults um or you know like like sort of i I don't know i i could go down the list there's a bunch of these different things that seem to be you know amongst celebritarians which are celebrity libertarians there seems to be this real push to to kind of go back to uh, uh mysticism and i don't mean science like i said historically i think mysticism was science just the church labeled it, you know, in such a negative connotation. But now it's just it's so ironic to me that so many celebritarians are going back to all of these mystical ideas and, you know, kind of woo shit um, that just reminds me of, of what the church was peddling, you know, a few hundred years ago, which kind of gets put on display in Castlevania. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I just I thought that that was that was fascinating and that it made that point and it had kind of a sociological uh, a social message of a sort saying that, you know, maybe what historically gets described as mysticism, dark arts and black magic was really just science. Uh, And I think that I think that that's a very real possibility um, in real history, not within, you know, a a TV series based on a video game. Um, So anyway, so you get that. and, And like with the with the doctor or the healer character that ends up becoming Dracula's wife, like she, you know, gets into the the, the, the deeper parts of Dracula's castle. And that's exactly what you find. He has telescopes. He has like, uh, uh, you know, all of these, you know, wild kind of Renaissance style scientific instruments uh, kind of before there was a, re- you know, there was an enlightenment or I shouldn't say Renaissance enlightenment technologies. Uh, and, and maybe even a lot more like you, you experience that some creatures have light bulbs, but it's very clear that they're electricity and not magic. Uh, it's it's I mean, that's a really cool kind of like underlying message to have there about how the church, you know, may have like how the Catholic Church may with its quest for power may have brought on many evils and held back uh, technological and scientific development in general, uh, you know, at a point. So that that's kind of cool that this show really has a message. It's part of what, for me, takes it to that next level, makes it an even greater anime and kind of puts it in a very unique position where it it has a genuine message and not just some kind of like weird. I mean, a lot of not that this is Japanese, it's an American production, uh, but a lot of Japanese anime in particular will often have like an environmental message. And I appreciate that. Or it'll have some kind of like weird spiritual message or some kind of like ancestral message or something like this. This is a real message. This is a scientific message that's getting put out there um, and, and a scientific and ideological message that I really I really dig. Um, that it's a part of it. So that that's just another thing that kind of kind of takes it to the next level. So then you end up with, you know, you have the character of Trevor Belmont, which the Belmonts, again, are excommunicated, um, not allowed to do the monster hunting. But now that, you know, now that Dracula's back, um, Trevor Belmont kind of feels a, a, a need to to get back into the game, as it were. And he ends up protecting. You find out about this kind of group called the Speakers. Uh, they're sort of like gypsies. Uh, I think it best described. It's very clear. I think that Adi Shankar is making them like the Jews where they have an oral history as compared to something that they've written down, which, of course, you know, people that know you know a little bit about Judaism know you have the oral Torah as well as the written Torah uh, and how important the oral Torah is. Um, 
So you get that. And, and there's some other aspects to them that, you know, they're meant to be kind of the outcasts. And so they have, you know, and this is Tony Amendola, who I mentioned earlier. He plays one of the lead speakers uh, in this. And they are kind of magicians after after a sort or sorcerers uh, they, they are sorceress uh, that, you know, they they have varying abilities. Uh, and, and I thought that the, you know, kind of this like dealing with this, the, this uh, group. I wouldn't call them a race, but this uh, group called the speakers, I think is really interesting because that gives that gives you the chance to play off of of an even grander historicity uh, in the future with the series. Uh, So I I thought that was cool, but you can definitely tell everything that they're kind of laying out with it and the fact that the church is going after them, persecuting them and blaming them for all the evils that are happening. They're not even blaming Dracula because they don't even want to talk about Dracula. They wanted to say it's just Satan, right? Um, but the fact that they want to blame every terrible thing going on on the speakers, I mean, totally speaks of how the church treated the Jews, you know, a few hundred years ago uh, and before. So I thought that that was cool. So you're, you're getting that sociological message as well. I mean, there's there's so many levels that this is working on. If you can appreciate what it's trying to highlight and what it's trying to say, uh, this is not just great action, but the action itself is tremendous. It is a very gory, very bloodlusty, uh, if that's a term that I can use, uh, 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 production, you know, and, and it, it, the style sort of feels like granted with, you know, with 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 mo- more modern artistry, it very much feels like Vampire Hunter D, uh, which is one of my favorite animes. Uh, in mangas uh, of all time I, and novel series. Actually, the novels are great, too. Uh, but Vampire Hunter D, just, you know, great work. And I mean, and in anime, it's kind of the gold standard of anything when you're talking about Dracula, uh, even though uh, Castlevania is dealing with source material, that being the video games that goes that has, you know, a grander history or as grand a history as, say, Vampire Hunter D does. Um. So, yeah, I all all of that was, you know, the action really, really cool. Uh, lots of unique, and this is Adi Shankar coming in, in my opinion, totally, uh, you know, a lot of unique portrayals of violence or ways of killing people or, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of things being done. Um, the only thing that I'm, I'm not seeing from Adi Shankar in this, and I'm not sure why Adi Shankar is usually pretty good about getting some sex in there. And there's like pretty much none. In fact, it's the only thing that's really missing from it. And I'm hoping that in season two, we end up getting a lot more sex because I know Adi Shankar can deliver. I know that, that, you know, that he can bring that on. So that's probably the one thing lacking. I mean, it would have been and it's it is a little disappointing because they could have easily just had. I mean, you have these cities in disarray in Wallachia. You could have just as easily had like a bordello or something or just seeing guards, you know, doing something, not, not, you know, doing something. I mean, I mean, there's just there was a lot of opportunity and it and it didn't happen. Um, and I just I wish it did. But we still have season two coming. Uh, this is a point. I don't think I, I made this point uh, in, or I didn't conclude this point <laughs> that I was trying to make early on. Um, this whole thing feels like a prologue. Like it feels like, OK, this is like this should have been kind of episode one of whatever the hell's going on. You know, because it ends just sort of when things get very I mean, the whole thing's interesting, but it ends when things get really interesting Uh, when, you know, what would appear to be the thrust of where everything's supposed to be pointing at, uh, you know, finally comes to comes to a head. Um, And that being where, well, I I guess I don't need to spoil that. But anyway, yeah, awesome action. uh, Really, really cool styling. Of course, a lot of the styling is from Ayami Kojima's uh, what, you know, the artwork that 
that was done for uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So you get that Castlevania feel as well, like I said, along with, you know, kind of Vampire Hunter D and all that. Um, Yeah, I can't recommend this enough. So, again, you know, just other than the fact that there wasn't any real sex or even sexiness or sexuality in it, uh, this is, I mean, this is this is perfect. Other than that, it has. So, you know, 99 out of 100 or maybe 90 out of 100 because sex is certainly worth 10 points. <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, this is really perfect. And look, it's not like I, before anybody says it, the lack of sex. It's not like this is a kid's thing. I mean, because this is like brutally violent, like it is gruesome in in how it displays things. You know, I mean, people's eyes getting lashed out. Uh, I mean, all kinds of and some unique uh, violence, frankly, which, again, I think comes from Adi Shankar. Uh so, yeah, I, I don't buy it that, well, this is meant for kids. Well, I mean, granted, I know in American cinema, like violence is OK for kids, but of course, sex isn't. So maybe it falls under something like that. I don't know. But you really felt that lacking, uh, in my opinion. So anyway, um, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about Castlevania, you know, kind of the series in general. Uh, again, this was, you know, an entire saga, uh, which has had so many games. I mean, we're talking probably over 20 games close to that uh, that have been made on varying systems various handhelds i mean you know you can even think about i remember playing castlevania uh with a little tiger electronics you know with a little lcd uh, (laughs) video game system i mean i I totally remember that and again you know the uh the game that this production is largely based on uh that the the tv series of of castlevania is based on that being castlevania 3 dracula's curse uh that one is large is is you know well regarded i think it's like it's often in top five lists, not even just top 10 top five lists for NES games. Uh, as far as games in general, it'll often, you know, video gaming in general, it will often be in a top 10 list. Uh, I mean, it's that good and it still plays that well. Like, I mean, it still delivers on, on all fronts. Uh, one of its unique things, I think at the time in 1990 was the ability to switch between uh, characters like Alucard, uh, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, Trevor Belmont, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a really cool game. I'd probably put Castlevania three in my top three Castlevania games. Uh, again, it's it's not it's not my favorite, but it's up there. Uh, the first time I don't I don't even know if I played Castlevania three when it when it first came out. I think I might have played it much, much later. I played Simon's Quest. I played Castlevania one like non fucking stop. Um, but I think I played, I finally ended up playing Castlevania three much later, uh, super Castlevania, which of course is Castlevania four played the hell out of that. Uh, one of the best things really to ever come out for PlayStation PlayStation, I think is a video game system that, uh, I mean, I mean, it was great, but like a lot of its games don't hold up today. Very few PlayStation games, still stand tall as to where I think with like the Nintendo 64, which was the PlayStation's, you know, kind of competition. That was the main competition at the time was, you know, PlayStation one versus Nintendo 64. Uh, I, I think, I mean, yeah, I know there was the Saturn there was, (laughs) you know, believe me, I, I know my video game history very well. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, like Nintendo 64 games, a lot of those still hold up. Like they're still totally playable because the game mechanics are so good as to where a lot of PlayStation games. Yeah, I don't think there's that. I, I really don't think there's that many games that that stand tall today to where I still want to play them. Um, I can think of quite a few that I would want to play, 
from PlayStation, uh, that being like the Colony Wars trilogy, which is unique to PlayStation uh, and and easily uh, I mean, just just some of the best games ever made. So I'll give PlayStation that. Uh, of course, there's the Ark the Lad trilogy, which is tremendous on PlayStation because you can like save game history uh, between each game and, and use stuff from previous games in the series. Uh, and but one of the games that really does stand tall for PlayStation is uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which I would probably uh, give to. I would probably give like my number two slot. So Castlevania three, I would give maybe the number three slot Symphony of the Night. I'd give that the number two slot. Uh, my favorite Castlevania game without question is Area of Sorrow. Uh, for the Game Boy Advance. I mean, like just easily. In fact, I remember when this was first uh, being, you know, talked about and released. I mean, this was this was huge because you're just coming off of. Um, let's see. It, yeah, you're just coming off of like. A, no, it wasn't a Dawn, Dawn of Sorrow. That that would be that. That was the sequel, which Dawn of Sorrow was pretty good. Uh, but you're just coming off of a, a Castlevania game on the Game Boy Advance that was just solid as a rock. Uh, and Air, Area of Sorrow came out, that would have came out in 03. Uh, and, and there were some unique things being done with the Castlevania series at that time. It wasn't just a simple platformer. Uh, they started bringing in like, um, like this card system where you had like kind of these magic cards that you could, uh, you know, that you could use. So yeah, you're just coming off of uh, circle of the moon, harmony of dissonance and all that. Uh, area of sorrow was really cool because it took place in the future. It took place in 2035, uh, which I thought was really unique because most Castlevania games, kind of like the Castlevania TV series we were talking about, generally take place in the 15th, 16th, 17th century, something like this, uh, as to where this was in the future. And so you got a lot of, uh, you know, interesting technologies kind of to play off of with Area of Sorrow. And I think Area of Sorrow has been re-released for virtual console and various other things. Uh, so there's lots of, you know, there's ways you can play this without having a Game Boy Advance, uh, certainly. But, oh man, is, is that one. That, I mean, the style is there. And in fact, it follows a lot of the stylings of uh, of Symphonies of the Night. Uh, so it just makes sense. <laughs> I mean, that that, that game uh, stuck out so well for me. In fact, you know, Symphonies of, the, uh, Symphonies of the Night, I mean, that... Yeah, I mean, that game, I think that might have been the thing that made me finally buy a PlayStation, you know, back in the 90s. Because... Yeah, I mean, because, you know, I, I got off of, I mean, when you play Castlevania 4, you're just dying for what's next, you know, on the Super Nintendo. Uh, and pro- I wouldn't be surprised, I don't have, you know, I don't have confirmation of this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Symphonies of the Night was meant to, was one of the idea games for the launch of what was going to be the Super Nintendo CD. Uh, originally PlayStation, originally Nintendo and Sony were going to work together to create something similar to how the Sega Genesis had the Sega CD, right? Or Mega CD, depending on what you, you know, how you title that, uh, or, you know, what part of the world you're from. Um, they, they were going to, they were going to do something very similar, but the talks fell through for whatever reasons. And Sony just said, okay, well, we have all these great ideas for the Super Nintendo CD. Let's just make our own game system. And then they ended up making the PlayStation, right? Now, we talked about on a Sovereign Tech Prime episode a, a good while back, and I think I did a write-up on my Dark Android blog, or not, on a, on my the Zog blog, what I called it at the time from, uh, you know, my company, Sony Offline Games. Um, we talked about, or I talked about it then, but somebody finally found a SNES CD, as they call it, or, you know, a Super Nintendo CD. They found one of the game systems, and it's like, holy shit, and they even booted it up. You can you can find it on YouTube. It's incredible, uh, you know, to look at. And I would imagine the Symphonies of the Night was going to be one of the titles for that 
Nintendo slash Sony, you know, alliance hybrid system that was supposed to exist and the PlayStation was not supposed to exist. Uh, I, I love talking about that history because I think if there was a SNES CD, we would be looking at a very I don't think Nintendo would have ever fa- fallen from grace, quote unquote, uh, like they there never would have been the PlayStation 2 wouldn't have been. The, I mean, wouldn't even have been a thing. Uh, I, I think I think we'd be looking at a very different gaming history. Uh, and we'd be looking at gaming systems having much longer release cycles because this idea of adding on uh, console capabilities would have been a much more uh, a palatable thing. In fact, I, I wonder if at some point that'll become a thing again. Right now, kind of the you know the trend in gaming seems to be, okay, now, or at least with the present generation of consoles, every three years, like a, a, a normal uh, console generation can go like six, seven years. Now they're saying, okay, every three years, let's, um, let's just release a whole new system as to where in the past you would just, you, you would release an add on to the system that already, that everybody already has. I kind of wish it would go back to the add on thing. Cause I always thought that that looked really cool. Uh, I know I've watched the angry video game nerds where, you know, episodes where he puts together the entire, uh, uh, you know, Sega Genesis, where it has the third, you know, the 32 X and it has a Sega CD and all that. But I don't know. Something about that just seems really cool where you can keep adding on to it. Uh, it almost has a, 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 you know, personal computer, a PC feel uh, to it. But anyway, uh, that's that's neither here nor there. So, yeah, Castle, the Castlevania series uh, still going strong. You know, games are still made for it. Like I said, kind of the new remakes that uh, are also available for PC, along with all the other uh, major consoles are not always so well received, but I enjoy the hell out of them. I, Lords of Shadow, I, I think those games are, are lots of fun. Uh, all three of them, even the, in fact, the best one really is the one that I think was more or less. Well, it wasn't released for mobile. I think they released it for PSP, but uh, Mirror of Fate. I thought that that was a that was really cool. Uh, the mobile games, like I said, Circle of the Moon, like was was almost a renaissance uh, for Castlevania after Dracula X and all that. Uh, so, you know, there's lots of games to love, even though there's been so many. Maybe there wasn't over 20, but there's got to be close to 20 of these games. I mean, there, there, there's so goddamn many of them. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I dig it. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just put it that way. Uh, it is the, the, you know, games to this day. A lot of them, a lot of platformers where they have maybe some like shooting elements are called uh, Metroidvania because Castlevania and, of course, the the absolutely inimitable game series of Metroid, uh, you know, like they, they pioneered a style uh, that is really, you know, that 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 just works and continues to work. And people still make modern games uh, in that style because it just it feels so natural. It feels like. And I think this is part of the reason, and maybe people don't realize it consciously, I think part of the reason that the original Castlevania games hold up so well, it's not like they have these tremendous stories. I mean, they have some degree of story. You know, it's not the tremendous story like the Castlevania Netflix series, right? But, well, later on they would have that kind of story. Like Circle of the Moon certainly brought in a lot of story. Area of Sorrow actually has an amazing story to it. Uh, All text you know, as far as like how the story more or less gets told, but it is an amazing story all the same. But I think that there's, there's sort of a logical mental progression that goes on with the Castlevania games where you feel like you're, you're in a, well, maybe a Bram Stoker novel or, you know, or, or something like that. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, there's, there's a reason that these games still get made and, and they just, they, they have such a great feel to them. I mean, you almost want to call them classic vania <laughs> because they're, because many of them be, you know, become instant classics, not all, but, but many of them uh, definitely do. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what more, you know, really to add on that. Um, just, 
you know, again, if you're a Castlevania fan, this series, you know, will not disappoint at all. It, it will. I mean, it just has endless realms of of pleasure, has a lot of depth, a lot of different things to explore, a lot of things that I hope get explored in season two. I hope season two gets made quickly. The considering the level of art production and all that, I would not be surprised if we don't see season two until 2019, though. Uh, but Netflix has been able to, to turn things around quickly. Like when they found out how how uh, how popular Voltron Legendary Defender was inside of a year, you know, inside of the same year that season one came out, they released season two. Like, I mean, they, they really made that happen fast. So I hope the same can be done uh, with with Castlevania. But I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't be displeased just based upon, you know, uh, just the brilliance of everything, you know, that, that was put together here, uh, that it, it, it might take a little while to finally get season two. But there's a lot to love, a lot to explore, a lot of depth, even if you're not a Castlevania fan in the Castlevania Netflix series, uh, you know, and it's a nice short watch. That's really cool, too, to be able to consume it so quickly. Uh, but, yeah, just, just fantastic. And maybe it will get you into wanting to play some of the other Castlevania games because this does stick fairly close, you know, kind of to to accepted uh, a history and legacy within uh, the Castlevania franchise in general. Uh, maybe you'll want to take on the adventures of Simon Belmont after you've seen how badass Trevor Belmont is. And, you know, the character of Trevor Belmont, they did a great job with this because he's a very flawed, very flawed character, but very funny um, and and just like uh, definitely plays a roguish style, you know, almost a Han Solo ish kind of character uh, that I think is really cool. But that has a real sense, has a real uh, uh, like has a real moral compass, more or less, uh, which is enjoyable in a series like this. Not that I think morality is a real thing, but <laughs> woo. Uh, so, but but uh, but he has it, you know, he's a flawed character that just has this this real sense of honor, I guess you could say, uh, that becomes very endearing very quickly and again, very, very quickly because this only weighs in at about, uh, you know, barely an hour and 20. Uh, so, so, you know, do, do check this out. I couldn't recommend, uh, I don't think I've done a review for something I could recommend more ever. You know, I just, I think this has so much to deliver. Um, if you're not a big fan of gore, even in anime, well, maybe you want to steer clear of this, but otherwise top notch work. Uh, and I think you'll see when you hear Tony Amendola's voice and, and it will stand out to you. He can, he plays the the lead speaker. I think you'll see exactly what I'm talking about, like how brilliant it was to bring him on. Uh, everybody did a great job, though. Again, like I said, I hope that there's a soundtrack that gets released soon because Trevor Morris's music needs to be upheld as this is how you can do great music for animated uh, for an animated series. Uh, and this is one of the things where, you know, I think this is also a great example and it's becoming more and more prevalent where animated series finally in America are getting treated with the uh, uh, just the due that they deserve that they've appreciated in other parts of the world, particularly Japan and elsewhere where animated series, there's they're totally considered to be adult uh, fiction and not, you know, not just something for children. Uh, but when you consider like Rick and Morty, uh, you know, and, and some other animated series, I mean, the Simpsons, I think is kind of an anomaly. I don't really like to count that. But when you consider, yeah, Rick and Morty uh, or even Voltron Legendary Defender or some of the other, you know, great series out there that adults are totally on board with watching, uh, myself included, of course, I'm a fan of both of those series. Uh, Castlevania is another one where it's like, OK, now adults are going to start getting it. That animated series is where, you know, really great fiction can finally be or not. Fi it's always been told 
Uh, great fiction has always been told in the animated series, but where it can be largely widely accepted that, oh, no, 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 great fiction, great stories, great series are happening, uh, you know, in the animated realm. So kudos to Castlevania for, you know, being a vanguard on that in the United States. Again, in other parts of the world, it's not even a second thought. Uh, but America is, you know, such a backwards c- uh, country, uh, especially culturally and, you know, in, in so many other ways to where I mean, like, I mean, just just think about it. You know, in in Japan, a lot of Nintendo games, a lot of video games, you know, have very adult themes, have very even even games made by Nintendo, uh, you know, aren't kid stuff. They're not. But when they get, you know, ported over even to this day, when they get ported over to uh, to the States, suddenly, oh, yeah, we've got to cover up that nipple. We got to, you know, don't actually, you know, what, just just do a whole cutscene and make sure you don't even see her, the cleavage of her breasts, uh, you know, or yeah, okay, no, make that, don't make that character a hermaphrodite here. Just say it's a gal cat or something. Uh, you know, I mean, like so many things get shifted here because America is so twisted and, and uh, uh, I don't want to use the term conservative, but I mean, because really, I, I, I think when you're when you don't allow art to explore itself to even the darkest and fullest and, and maybe even uh, maybe even disturbing, you know, extents, um, I think you've got a, I think you've got a bit of a problem. <laughs> so and America certainly has that. So it's nice to finally have, you know, an animated series that I think is going to be, you know, very widely accepted. Uh, is being incredibly enjoyable and and can be you know taken for the adult thing that it is and it's not just considered uh, stuff for children anymore uh, by the wider populace and a lot of that you know I got to give credit to Netflix for because Netflix you know and again this is a point I keep bringing up and I complain about it but at the same time certainly there I could see the benefits um, you know people aren't looking for great television anymore they're just looking for what's conveniently on Netflix and they'll watch anything that Netflix puts out there so maybe people will finally watch this and go holy shit animations you know uh, animated series our anime is dead serious and it's you know it's serious as a heart attack Awesome. Good. Thank you, Netflix, for making that happen. And actually, thank you, Netflix, for a lot of different things. Uh, Real quick, I'll just mention this as as we're finishing up. Um, I did complain quite a bit or well, I don't think I ever mentioned this on on Sovereign Tech, but I did a review of another great Netflix show, that being Sense8. Uh, And in the beginning of June, it was announced that Sense8 was canceled on Netflix like they weren't going to do a season three then come end of June Netflix says okay we'll give you a two hour like you know final episode slash movie uh, that everybody can enjoy so I'm glad Netflix did the right thing on that um, they can you know I was tempted to stop being a, a customer because of that but uh, but no they're, they're doing the right thing I think by giving us a two hour finale uh, for Sense8 they're doing the right thing with a lot of stuff that they're putting out there uh, you know Castlevania like I said uh, Voltron Legendary Defender is just tremendous this glow we talked about glow this week uh that's another fantastic uh, netflix series i mean it's just really really amazing what they can do because of the fact that netflix isn't beholden to any fcc laws which i think is why a lot of the content on netflix uh is able to break out from the very twisted uh american you know kind of uh, culture that that really holds back art from exploring the entirety of the human condition um, and it's it's uniquely well not uniquely American I mean there's other countries too that 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 hold back I mean Britain and some others that that really hold back uh, art in my opinion but 
anyway, it's it's really great that Netflix isn't beholden to these regulations and laws uh, as far as what they can broadcast, and they just let the shit fly. And and Castlevania is an example where when you let that shit fly, you know sometimes it turns into absolute gold because this this series is. So anyway, enough of that. Woo. Uh, more content coming out this week. Actually, got a lot of fun stuff. Of course, uh, the weekly uh, Q and the or the monthly hangout Q and A will be for July. Will be this Thursday. This Thursday being will that be the thirteenth? Thursday the thirteenth, July thirteenth at four p.m. So keep your you know be be there for that if you want to be. Uh, you can join up you know right into the hangout room and be on video and audio if you want. Or like last time, a lot of people just hung out in the YouTube uh, live chat and I'll field questions from there. And I, I enjoy doing it that that way as well. And I read what's you know being said in the YouTube live chat because, of course, I release the hangout uh, just hours later. I, I will release it you know, on in the audio feed for Sovereign Tech patrons. So thank you so much for being a patron uh, on Patreon for Sovereign Tech. Uh, got a lot of new ones this week. Welcome to you. And uh, I hope you enjoy when I, because I'll, I'll tell you, I do this a lot on Patreon. We get into the geeky side, but uh, most people seem to love it. It's their kind of the favorite things that I do. So anyway, Castlevania, go watch it if you haven't already. If you have already, Woo! Talk about it in the Sovereign Tech group if you want to. Uh, Sovereign Tech Uncensored on Facebook. I will see you on the other side.